Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in the Historico Galley section of Melbourne, Florida. It's also made possible by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on the program, an exciting new era begins for the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science. I just want to say I've been connected with the Florida Historical Society for probably almost 20 years now, and this is the most exciting uh, event that I've seen happen. We'll discuss the Florida Pioneer Descendant Certification Program. Anyone who lived in Florida, even if for a, a short time, uh, prior to March 3rd, 1845, is considered by the Genealogical Society to be a Florida pioneer. And we'll talk about a St. Benedict medal uncovered at the site of the 18th century Turnbull Plantation in New Smyrna Beach. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. It's a brand new day for both the Florida Historical Society and the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science. The Florida Historical Society has assumed ownership of the museum and plans to make what is already an outstanding facility with fascinating exhibits even better. Len Lempel is president of the Florida Historical Society and professor of history at Daytona State College. He says the museum acquisition provides FHS with many opportunities to expand educational outreach. I just want to say I've been connected with the Florida Historical Society for probably almost 20 years now, and this is the most exciting uh, event that uh, I've seen happen. Uh, this this uh, museum is a tremendous new addition to the Florida Historical Society. Uh, it, it gives a huge boost to the Florida Historical Society Archaeological Institute. Um, you know, Bruce Piatek coming on board, who I've known for many years, he's going to be great. And uh, I'm just real excited about uh, all the opportunities that this presents. The Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science was established in 1969. The nearly 15,000-square-foot facility sits on a 20-acre nature preserve with walking trails through three Florida ecosystems. The museum is adjacent to Eastern Florida State College and the University of Central Florida Cocoa Campus. The change in ownership of the museum from Brevard Museum Incorporated to the Florida Historical Society was an amicable transition. As wonderful a facility as the museum is, for many months it had been depending upon cash reserves to stay open, which was not a sustainable situation. Brevard Museum President Lee Bailey says the Board of Trustees recognized the need to establish economic stability. I think what I have brought to the museum is my 30 years of experience in nonprofits, including working for the Philanthropy Center. So I have a real clear understanding of how I, a nonprofit organization should be run. And if I brought anything to the museum, it is that clarity to be sure that 
um, this little museum is going to stay around for a while. With a passionate and engaged museum guild already in place, the addition of Florida Historical Society personnel and resources will allow the museum to expand and grow. Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons that that predominantly we want to make this move is uh, a lot of people have great ideas, and uh, there certainly was a passion here. Uh, We talk about the individuals who have been supportive of the organization and, and, and past board members and board members now. There certainly is a passion. But unfortunately, it takes just more than passion. It has to have really good, solid um, uh, understanding and and knowing how to run that uh, museum. And so I think with that in place, we're just going to see it uh, thrive. Discussion of a possible change in management for the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science began when Museum Executive Director Nancy Rader announced that she would be stepping down at the end of September 2014. I could see that I couldn't get the money to come in that I wanted to to in in get the uh, politicians and the in the uh, wealthy more, more wealthy clients to docent and and to participate in the museum, you have to bring in grants. You have to bring in people that are going to support the museum. And where we had, you know, like Mary Helen Andersons that that in in the founding of. Uh, People of this museum, they, they are all, you know, passing away. And so we needed to broaden our base. And really that is one of the things that I could see that I wasn't accomplishing. And I wanted to broaden the base and the influence of the museum because I feel like the Bavar Museum is a treasure and I really wanted the, the community to uh, jump on board and, and support it. And I do think that we got a lot more people coming to the museum during these last two years, but it still wasn't changing the outcome that we needed to get a broader group of people to support this museum. Many imp- Improvements were made to the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science under Nancy Rader's direction. She refreshed exhibits, improved branding, and increased attendance at the museum. Her proudest achievement was adding a mastodon skeleton that joined the bones of a giant ground sloth and a saber-toothed cat. I am really proud of the mastodon because when uh, Dr. Cliff Jeremiah gave us that that uh, mastodon, we got it in pieces. And when I would give tours, I would t- tell the kids, I said, I want to see that mastodon on its feet. And I am thrilled with with that happening within the, the first two, two years of, uh, of me being the uh, director and um, that will and that puts a smile on people's face when they go in that room and it's one of the things that has got us publicity from the mag uh, from the different newspapers and I think there isn't very few people in Brevard County that doesn't know that the Brevard Museum has a mastodon now. The Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science is now also the physical home of the Florida Historical Society Archaeological Institute or FHSAI. Bruce Piatek is the new director of both FHSAI and the museum. Piatek was the first city archaeologist for St. Augustine, was director of the St. Augustine Historic Preservation Board Museum, and is an experienced professional archaeologist. He was director of the Florida Agricultural Museum for 20 years, building it into the most popular tourist destination in Flagler County. 
Well, I, I think the museum is great. It's got a tremendous amount of potential. There's been years and years of hard work, 45 years, in fact, of hard work by the folks who put the museum together, got it operating, and have continued to operate it. I think it's exciting with the, what the Florida Historical Society has planned for you know coming into the museum, uh, making it uh, a more vibrant and viable operation, and I think the combination with the Florida Historical Society's Archaeological Institute kind of is a nice continuation of the tradition of archaeology being a component of the Florida Historical Society and giving it a home and a physical location where we can get involved with the community, with the Indian River Archaeological Association, some of the the Florida Anthropological Society and others, uh, to really Uh, encourage and create more archaeological data, broader understanding of archaeology, maybe some broader support amongst the public for archaeological research, and maybe a a greater, what I would see as part of the challenge, is a greater understanding of the value that archaeology can bring to a community in terms of learning about the past and understanding the people and the cultures and the history that went on in their communities. In addition to the mastodon and other prehistoric beasts, the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science contains a variety of archaeological artifacts. The centerpiece of the museum is an exhibit on the amazing Windover archaeological dig. About 7,000 years ago, with human beings being buried in the bottom of this wet pond that became basically a, a peat bog, Uh, They were located during construction activities, and what was amazing is the preservation you had created in that bog, an anaerobic environment where there's no oxygen, and so therefore the bacteria did not decompose a lot of the organic material. So actually human brain material was recovered in the cranio, some of these burials, uh, you know, with, with lots of interesting evidence about early burial practices, weaving technologies. Uh, we learned a tremendous amount about how advanced people were here in Florida 7,000 years ago, and it really opened up, I think, a lot of scholars' eyes to the level of social and technological complexity and ability that these people had thousands of years ago here in Florida. Um, And so we have an excellent exhibit, and the only one that I know of in the state, on the Windover site. Other exhibits at the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science focus on the Spanish colonial period, native cultures, and pioneer life. Opening on November 14th is the exhibition Eye on the Universe that features scale models of a shuttle deploying the Hubble telescope, a model of the telescope itself, and displays of some of the spectacular images the telescope has captured. And one of the interesting things I have thought about as we've done some of the work to get ready for the installation is that astronomers and archaeologists have something in common. They're both looking back in time. Astronomers use the Hubble Space Telescope to stare back at light that's billions of years old to learn about the creation uh, of our universe and how it began. And archaeologists also are looking back in time, and maybe not nearly as long ago, uh, but we're learning about cultural evolution and cultural uh, activities and what human life was like in the past. So there's kind of an interesting connection within those two sciences uh, between astronomers and archaeologists that uh, we're going to have an opportunity to have that exhibit come in. It's going to be very exciting about the information that's learned through the Hubble. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a a real um, worthwhile experience to come out here for people to see that. And so we have this huge range of, of 
science and technology and history and natural science and a wonderful uh, set of grounds here of about 22 acres with nature trails. So it's, you know, it's just a bounty of wonderful opportunities here at the museum. Bruce Piatek is director of the Florida Historical Society Archaeological Institute and the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science in Cocoa. The museum is now owned by the Florida Historical Society. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org to listen to archived editions of this program, read our weekly Florida Frontiers blog, and much more. Click on the Join Now button to receive our journal, the Florida Historical Quarterly, and our newsletter, the Society Report. That's myfloridahistory.org. family members who lived in Florida years ago, you might be able to register as a Florida pioneer descendant. 
Ben DiBiase is Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa. Ben, the Florida Pioneer Descendant Certification Program is administered by the Florida State Genealogical Society. Yeah, that's right. And the Florida State Genealogical Society is a non-for-profit organization that was founded uh, back in 1977 uh, with the goal of promoting the study and research of genealogy and local history with a focus on uh, Florida history, of course. And uh, again, their their uh, goal is, is still to promote history through now digital means, uh, research with Ancestry.com and how to uh, connect people with their uh, with their roots. And what is the process for being certified as a descendant of a Florida pioneer? Well, this is probably one of their biggest programs. It actually started in 1978, just after the organization was founded. And the Pioneer Descendant Program is designed to uh, not only help people connect with their roots, as I said, uh, but also to uh, help identify these important figures in Florida's history, these people who settled in Florida prior to statehood, and that date would be 1845. So anyone who lived in Florida, even if for a, a short time, uh, prior to March 3rd, 1845, is considered by the Genealogical Society to be a Florida pioneer. Um, now, Florida's history goes back quite a bit further than a lot of other states. We're talking about three centuries earlier. Uh, all the way back to the 16th century. And in fact, there are a number of uh, descendants who have traced their lineage all the way back to Spanish soldiers who were garrisoned uh, in St. Augustine in the 16th century. Uh, so it's not limited to uh, the, the territorial period. You can actually trace it back into the British and, and the Spanish period, as, as many people have done. Uh, and the uh, Genealogical Society has actually broken the um, descendant program into three different categories. We have the uh, Florida State Pioneer Descendant, so that's someone who settled here prior to 1845. But they've also established a County Pioneer uh, Descendant Registry, uh, and that is uh, essentially to identify people who settled in each of Florida's 67 counties prior to the establishment of that county. Uh, so, for example, Brevard County was settled in 1855, so anyone who lived here prior to 1855 would be a, a county descendant. Uh, but many people don't realize that a lot of uh, Florida's counties were established in the 20th century. Uh, so some people may think, well, we have uh, some Florida roots, but they don't go back that far. Uh, there are a number of counties that were established in the 1920s, uh, so it's very likely that uh, one of your uh, ancestors, going back just a few generations, uh, could be considered a, a Florida pioneer. Now, the, the complete records of the Florida Genealogical Society are, are right here at the Library of Florida History, right? That's right. There are uh, approximately 5,000 descendants who have applied over the, the last three decades, and there are hundreds of completed applications uh, that are housed at the Library of Florida History. And we actually have a completed application here, and you can see it's, uh, it's almost a full ream of paper that we're uh, looking at. There's a lot of documentation that goes into uh, proving that not only the uh, your uh, ancestor lived in Florida um, before this particular date, but also you have some connection to that to that ancestor. You have to also trace your your lineage and your connection to that person. Um, but as part of that, there are uh, photographs that are submitted for application. We have uh, birth records, census records, um, marriage certificates. All of these copies, we have copies of family Bibles, anything that a uh, an applicant can use to help determine um, whether or not that they were actually linked to this to this pioneer is submitted for this application. And all of that information goes into a packet. It's housed in alphabetical order and is open now for researchers. So people can visit the Library of Florida History. 
they can search for uh, maybe they're, they may be uh, connected through a different lineage, a different line, and they can actually apply for a, a certificate connected to uh, someone else who is uh, a Florida pioneer. Um, so it's open for researchers, genealogists, and, and anyone really who's interested in, in Florida's history to, uh, to come and use. And who makes the determination if uh, somebody gets on the register of, of Florida Pioneers? Well, it's it's kind of a lengthy process. They accept applications throughout the year. The deadline is in September. Uh, and all applications are actually sent to a committee, and it's a group of volunteers. These are, are uh, many of whom are professional genealogists uh, who donate their time uh, to review each application and work with the applicant uh, to help determine whether or not they can uh, be determined uh, a descendant of a Florida pioneer. Okay, great. Thanks, Ben. Sure, thank you. Ben DiBiase is Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa. For more information on the Florida Pioneer Descendant Certification Program, go to www.flsgs.org. Living life is fun and we've just begun to get our share of this world's This is Florida Frontiers. The British controlled Florida from 1763 to 1783. During that time, Andrew Turnbull established a plantation at New Smyrna Beach. Robert Casanello from robertcasanello.com tells us about an artifact uncovered at the plantation site. St. Benedict was known as a patron saint, and patron saints are saints who are held to be especially efficacious in taking people's prayers for particular themes. Um, St. Benedict happens to be the patron saint against poison and witchcraft. He's also the patron saint of Europe and the patron saint of farm workers, which may connect to uh, one of many functions this medal could have played for people of New Smyrna. That was Dr. Emily Graham, professor of medieval history at Oklahoma State University. She spoke to me about a St. Benedict medal unearthed at the site of the Andrew Turnbull Plantation in New Smyrna. The medal is now on display at the New Smyrna Museum of History. During the U.S. Revolutionary War, East Florida was a British colony, and Turnbull opened a plantation that grew, among other things, indigo. He brought with him an indentured labor force from the Mediterranean made up of Greeks, Italians, and a large number of Menorcans who were Catholic. It is believed that the St. Benedict Medal was probably used by one or more of the Menorcans on the Turnbull Plantation. 
Here, Dr. Roger Grange, Professor Emeritus of Archaeology at the University of South Florida, tells me about the discovery. We did find it in one of the habitation sites that were occupied by uh, Turnbull settlers. So it probably was a Menorca. They probably acquired it here in North America because Kathy Deegan, who's an archaeologist who's well known for her work in St. Augustine, helped us to identify this. And so we have, we have lots of these up in, in St. Augustine. They date to about 1733. It's quite possible that Turnbull got some of these things for his settlers. Dr. Grange explains why Andrew Turnbull looked for workers on the island of Menorca. He was supposed to, to uh, uh, settle the uh, uh, place with Protestants. Uh, in, one, in one place he said, well, I, that can be anything I say they are. Uh, but actually, uh, the British acquired Menorca uh, from Spain at about the same time that they acquired Florida from Spain. And, uh, and so he can, he can argue that they were British subjects anyway. The St. Benedict Medal is considered an amulet or talisman. Here, Dr. Graham explains the ancient origins of these objects. Amulets or talismans um, from the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Romans used them as well, and you find them in medieval culture, um, and then they carry over into the early modern world, into the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, and into the medals that we know today as saints' medals. These medals, or what we might refer to them today as pendants, had a variety of symbolic purposes. Dr. Graham tells us about them. Metals like this would have been used by people primarily for protective purposes. A metal like this, which is emblazoned on the back with a number of protective sayings and slogans, and which represents the patron saint of protecting people from witchcraft, from demonic and satanic influence, from poisons, as well as the patron saint of farmers, it was seen predominantly as a protective metal people in wearing it would have believed themselves safer from malicious influences from the supernatural. They might also have hung it at doors to their home or put it in the foundation of their home to give that saint's protection to that particular dwelling. On the front of the medal is an illustration of Saint Benedict holding a fish in one hand and a piece of bread in the other. This is how he is traditionally pictured in church iconography. On the back of the medal are capital letters in cross formation that represent a specific saying in Latin. Dr. Graham tells us what they mean. If you look at the reverse, there's a number of letters and they look almost random, except that um, those familiar with the medal and with certain Latin sayings would recognize that each letter stands for a word in Latin. And when the words are put together, it represents a series of phrases. Um, so starting with the bars of the cross in the middle of the medal, going down the cross, it says C-S-S-M-L. And that stands for Crux Sancto Sit Mihi Lux, um, which means may the holy cross be my light. Um, so representing a desire to remain orthodox in Catholicism. I interviewed Dr. Emily Graham and Dr. Roger Grange and others for the podcast series, A History of Central Florida. 
look for it on iTunes. That was Dr. Emily Graham and Dr. Roger Grange, and I'm Robert Casanello with Florida Frontiers. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Come back here again next week, and until then, visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org. You can get our daily Facebook post, Today in Florida History, at Florida Historical Society. Have a great week. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in the Historic O'Galley section of Melbourne, Florida. It's also made possible by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach.